Our new recruits were not so lucky. Timmy tumbled to the grass, lay on the ground in sort of a fetal position as the last of gray feathers retracted. Colette supported her upper body with her arms, stared at her legs, stretched out, useless, in front of her. Kelly tried to stand but was overtaken by a fit of coughing. Timmy reached out and gently but awkwardly pounded her back with a palsied hand. I watched them and felt sad and sick. They were helpless out of morph without their wheelchairs and other supports, even more helpless than I had imagined. Were they wondering the same thing, regretting their decision to join us? Nope. Something had caught their attention. Standing over the group now, steady and strong, was James. He was taller than Jake, broader-shouldered, too. He looked down at his team and then over at Jake. He walked in a circle as if testing his legs, legs that hadn't properly grown since the accident all those years before, legs that only an hour ago had been atrophied with disuse, but that were suddenly long and muscular. Lucky you, Kelly whispered. James smiled wryly. Yeah. Are you going to learn how to skateboard? Colette. Uh, and Timmy asks if James will stay. And, uh, as if he half expected James to say he wouldn't, that now he could leave the confines of the rehab center, he was going to break his promise and run for it. James squatted so that he was face to face with the others. I'm staying. We're a team, right? He looked up at Jake. His eyes were bright with tears. What now? <laughs> um, so... Here's the thing. Um, I do, in some small ways, like the this portrayal of um, when you take these uh, mobility devices away from the kids who need them, the kids can't function really well, um, or at least aren't very mobile. Go figure. Uh, I don't like the use of helpless. It feels bad. Um, and is entirely uh, based on perception. It reminds me of, you know, the post that goes around periodically. Um, that's like reminding everybody that for a lot of people, not necessarily all of them, but for a lot of people, uh, disabled people specifically, uh, the their major disability is in the fact that society won't accommodate them. Um, and the comparison is made to wearing glasses. Um, I cannot see without my glasses. Um, I wouldn't be able to drive or read signs or read the words on my computer screen. Um, it would be very hard for me to function in society as it is uh, without glasses. But as soon as I have a device that is well ex that is accepted everywhere, that nobody like gives a second glance at anymore, um, when I have this assistive device. I am able to do, you know, whatever the fuck I want, basically. Um, do I still have to make accommodations for, like, when I wear goggles in lab? You know, I have to make sure I have goggles that will fit over my glasses. Um, or, like, if I go swimming, I have to take my glasses off, and so I have to deal with that. Like, there are still situations in which I have to confront the fact that I'm... Uh, disabled in this minor way. Um, but for the most part, because society has adapted so ubiquitously uh, to the assistive device that is a, that, are, that are glasses, it's not a problem for me. Uh, and the same would be true for a lot of disabled people if their assistive devices were ubiquitous and accommodated for and not given a second glance. Um, like uh, how a lot of, uh, I've heard a lot of disabled people talk about their wheelchairs, you know, the the phrasing, quote unquote, wheelchair bound is uh, not 
good phrasing for a variety of reasons, but also because, like, a lot of disabled people find their wheelchairs to be extremely freeing. Um, Their wheelchairs allow them to do so much that they might not otherwise be able to do. That to, to talk about their wheelchair as this thing that is holding them back is just not true. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. Well, it is frequently, uh, a matter of perspective, um, and, and a matter of, you know, if, Society just kind of got with the program. Uh. Yeah, it it reminds me of the whole uh, discussion around the bullshit that is um, the functioning label with regards to oh, autism. Yeah. Um, and when people say high functioning or low functioning, you mean needs um, requires society to adapt to you. Mm-hmm. Um, or requires adjustments around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I fucking hate, like many autistic people, to be clear, um, I am not unique in this experience. The terms high and low functioning are one, unhelpful, uh, and two, incredibly reductive. Uh, so the reason mm-hmm. we talk about the Sunday bar, uh, get away from me with that uh, autism is on a straight line and at one end is one thing and at the other end is the other it's bullshit mm-hmm. right um and i feel like that i feel like and please correct me if i'm wrong a similar thing when people talk about somebody being oh i'm only mild you're only mildly disabled you're significantly mm-hmm. disabled it's like how much society has to acknowledge it mm-hmm. right um and this is a common thing, especially when it comes to, like, getting benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, I know uh, specifically, like, if you've been in the military, they they grade whether or not you get disability when you've been discharged after, like, uh, a medical uh, discharge on, like, genuine actual percentages. Uh mm-hmm. So, like, that type of thinking is still, like, the basis for at least military benefits. I don't know if it's technically how they grade it in uh, medical disability benefits, because I've never worked on that side of it. But I know from hearing from people who uh, applied for military benefits that that's how it works there disability here is like applying for disability benefits here is just as much fucking nightmarish are you disabled enough to get government assistance and they'll come and they'll assess you and you can make repeated claims and they'll turn you down because uh the tory government uh hates poor people and hates disabled people even more this is the hell island i live on but that scale um that perception and and that's without even getting into the unpacking about how for some people they see disability as a moral failing yes Mm -hmm. and just like oh god is punishing them or like oh well uh be grateful oh don't 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 point but just be grateful that isn't you sweetheart okay like Mm -hmm. That's an inhumane way to talk about somebody. And it bears repeating to those kinds of folks who I imagine don't listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> but it's like, we're all just one day away, one accident away mm-hmm. from possibly a lifetime of needing some form of assistance or another. Yeah. And people who put yeah. themselves on these pedestals are like, well, at least I'm not that. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
you're only a fucking one one bad month away from bankruptcy. Yeah. Stop aspiring to be a billionaire. Like Yeah. yeah. These, it I could mean, it's very easy to become a part of that community. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like hell with the I've so for listeners listeners who aren't aware, I've been dealing with a broken ankle since mid November. Um and I got that broken ankle, not from anything exciting or fun, but literally from slipping down a hill. <laughs> uh, which is just the most mundane possible way. Uh, and I have a whole lot of privilege in that, one, it was a fixable problem. Uh, and two, I had the resources and uh, capability to take a lot of time off work to just do nothing but sit and heal. Um, but the uh the instantaneous shift from being able to do pretty much whatever i wanted to being able to do basically nothing without a significant amount of help uh was a matter of maybe 10 seconds uh. <laughs> so like you know Let's maybe uh, work on fixing our society and making it accessible to the people who need it instead of vilifying uh, situations that we could oh so easily uh, find ourselves in. Yeah. And of course, uh, I also had a broken ankle the last time we were recording a (laughs) podcast Uh uh, with me as a guest. And uh, yeah, that is uh, truly an example of like, well, I now can do absolutely nothing without someone helping me mm-hmm. hobble to the bathroom. And, mm-hmm. like, I've really got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, those are always, like, the experiences of, like, realizing that moment. And I think I even talked about this last time. Of, mm-hmm. like, confronting your uncomfortableness with... um if you feel comfortable being dependent on someone else. Yeah. Uh, So, like, yeah. A lot of those uh, moral failings, uh, being responsible for disability teachings, are also rooted in a lot of that. And a lot of that, uh, you should only be dependent on, like, a certain religious Mm -hmm. figure. uh, Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't be dependent on yourself or other people and it's like eh, but that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing and you should mm-hmm. confront that discomfort yeah 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 shout out to humankind our ability to be social creatures and look after each other is why we are still here uh yeah. eat shit all you survival of the fittest wankers <laughs> yes that that's not <laughs> how humans are um god now i'm just thinking about uh the, uh, this is a very brief sidebar. I'm aware of the story and our time limit, but there's a lot of debate um, whether or not to class autism as a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I imagine I don't know because I'm not a uh, part of the community about uh, also like ADHD and other yeah. um, neurodivergent conditions. Yeah. Um, because uh, when we talk about benefits, it's really hard to show on a piece of paper, especially if you're, quote, high functioning or don't mm-hmm. appear to need a lot of outward assistance, whether or not that would be the case. But I'm sat here, Emily, your comment about like that need to be dependent on somebody. And I'm like, I don't think I could live alone. Mm-hmm. Right. And I say this as somebody that needs to not be talked to for chunks of the day or I will get screamy. But the thought of being solely responsible for everything about myself, eating every day, uh, and not ending up with fucking scurvy or whatever, like, oh shit, yeah, nah. When I think Mm -hmm. about, like, the day-to-day stress of living as an autistic person in a society that is really not designed to be friendly to autistic people. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, nah, shit. Damn. Yeah. Yep. Um it it's that perception, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like the the needs we have and the 
artificial uh, barriers we draw between ourselves and other people mm -hmm. and the way we hold ourselves differently and how actually a lot of that is bullshit. Um, and yes, confronting this shit takes work. Please don't be afraid to do the work. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's, sometimes it's going to really fucking suck and feel really uncomfortable. Uh, but that discomfort means you're learning. Mm -hmm. And when people confront you about shit, they've taken the time to do so because they care about you as a person. Mm -hmm. And they want you to know better and to understand. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. The yep. Animorphs have potential to grow in this regard. <laughs> uh, it should not take getting superpowers to do so, FYI. Yeah. Um, but our golden boy, Jake, James, there we go, um, is the one that is healed by this. Yes. Um, Cassie has some thoughts about why it's relatively easy for the, for the rehab center kids to get this on lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, we have this delightful line <laughs> finally figured that james and the others had spent years if not all their lives surviving by allowing mind to conquer and replace matter their bodies might be weak but their wills were stronger than ours fuck off with this mind mm -hmm. over matter yeah inspiration porn bullshit yeah um for people that maybe have an extra awareness of their bodies maybe it is like, I can understand mm -hmm. that. That's certainly how I've phrased some things um, with my Animorphs character. But, mm -hmm. like, that you, Cassie, you don't know. Why mm -hmm. are you so good at morphing? <laughs> my yep. friend? Like. Yep. Yeah. But regardless, unlike so many instances of kids breaking into zoos to acquire morphs, uh, this goes incredibly well. Um, yep. And over the next few nights, um, they there is more recruiting done at the rehab centre. Um, yep. They continue to do surveillance there. It seems to be fine. Uh, what it winds up being is there are 17 new recruits. Yep. Uh, which gives a total of 23 Animorphs, plus the Chi, plus the possible Yerk Resistance, and Toby's hawk Yeah. Uh, notably, only three of the Auxiliaries were healed by the process. James and two others. Um, the, 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 the biggest problem that I have with this, like, Conceptually, I I personally do not have an issue with people being healed by the morphing power because, in general, uh, it follows from established rules. It makes sense, and they don't necessarily make it feel cheap. Like when we saw Lauren uh, be healed um, through morphing, uh, you know, it didn't heal all of her trauma or like the memories she lost. It just healed the literal brain damage kind of thing. Um, The James is one of the people who's healed. The two other people who are healed uh, are not Colette or Kelly or Timmy. They're two. They're two other people. Uh, I think it's I Bianca forget what their names are. And a boy. Bianca. Yeah, Bianca and a uh, boy. I don't remember. I'll we'll catch it in a minute. Um, those two become James's lieutenants. Not, you know, the people he handpicked to be the first to get the morphing power because he trusted them the most. No, no. The two that would, Just... I assume, be able to still be able to walk when out of morph. Yeah. Is the implication yeah, it... there? We know yeah. nothing about these two lieutenants except the fact that the morphing ability healed whatever brought yes. them to the rehab center. It that feels really bad. Fucking sucks. It sure does. That the leader is the one who is healed, none of the others. Uh, and that being healed automatically makes you part of the leadership. Uh, 
And Emily, you said you have a whole lot of thoughts on this. So I wanted to give you the ability to talk about this before we kind of like just stormed through the rest of this book. Yeah. Personally, I I don't really like the narrative of healing disability, mm-hmm. especially because I think last time as well, I talked about like how I have never been sure how I would feel about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. being given that option. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because given the rules for how it is mm-hmm. laid out, it probably would work on me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I do agree that it does follow the rules as laid out, it seems, in this book, uh, because it it only seems to heal things that were as a result of, like, an accident and mm-hmm. not anything that someone is born with. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in that respect, it is fair, at least. Uh, it doesn't, like, suddenly start changing and leave mm-hmm. someone confused. Um, but it is also very much, like, a person-to-person basis. Yeah. Um, and it it also does seem like we have some acknowledgement of at least one of them wishing it was them. Mm-hmm. If not, it painting it like it's all of them, which mm-hmm. also feels kind of icky. Because mm-hmm. it's like, was the authorial intent like kind of that all of them did this hoping they would be healed and if so mm-hmm. like that coming from an able-bodied person is really not mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. but it's also hard to know that and I'm mm-hmm. also like Ugh, it's just so much to deal with because mm-hmm. every and struggling with being disabled, especially because most of these kids are either born with their disability or have been dealing with their uh, illness or condition for so long. Like, people usually find some, not necessarily acceptance, some I'll say like you kind of learn to like it's kind of almost like you have a ghost with Mm -hmm. you and like you kind of make a weird little peace treaty with it Mm -hmm. um so it it just rubs me the wrong way Mm mhm Especially, like I said, being written by someone who, as far as we know, is able-bodied. Mm-hmm. Um, if this were someone who were disabled and had written it with a lot more tact and uh, nuance, it would feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because intentionally or not, uh, the writer has created this space where, um, yeah, all these they're all worthy warriors, all great, but some are a little bit better than others, you know. Some are just mm-hmm. little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just like all all men are equal, but some are more equal than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's also like some imagery later where it's like James is standing in front of the other auxiliaries, like standing proud like a symbol a beacon of of what to do and it's like this feels really gross actually yeah yeah could have done uh, without it being the blonde head white boy being the uh a, a yes. magically fixed yeah yeah it yeah i said it's one of those things where i do not believe it was intentional and was mm-hmm. cl- I do not think it at all. It was written to convey that message, but unfortunately, yeah. it's out there. Those, yeah, those biases exist, and if you don't examine them, they're gonna come out. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, so they do this for several more nights. They end up with seventeen 
new Animorphs, the mood is honestly pretty high. Um, they feel like they actually, um, like, have done something that makes a difference. They feel like they have slightly more control over the situation. Um, they have a brief, uh, interaction with Axe where he's like, oh, but they're still, like, physically helpless when they demorph, right? Um, and... Like Axe tries to shut it, or Marco tries to shut Axe down. We've had this converse, conversation before. All people are valuable in some way or another. And Axe is like, if these people are valued, then why are they kept apart? Why are they unseen? It is a disturbing inconsistency. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Axe. Yes, please do point this out. <laughs> please do point this out. But also, like, Axe, don't be a dick. Uh, because Axe, it, it's basically like Axe is being like, yeah, but you all think the same way I do. Uh, anyway. I, I, I don't know, I, I took it like, like him, because this could be one of those moments like, okay, you're saying this, but so, your society is saying a different mm -hmm. thing. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it feels less like a gotcha moment from Axe and more like, a, uh, are you aware of how hypocritical you're being right now? I, mm -hmm. you are, you are a dis there is a disconnect here. That's true. Because sometimes you do need the alien to be the one to go. And they did get the dig in on, on Axe earlier about aliens being ableist. Mm -hmm. And rightly so. So it felt like a nice little... It feels like an apt observation that only an outsider could make. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm, yeah, you talk a big game, but also... Yep. yep. Uh... But uh, we can't have good things for long. Not a, Not in book 50. Of no. fifty six, no, um, because they like right. They they not say they've exhausted the rehab center, but like the next thing, place they have found is like a uh, a residential school for the blind. Mm -hmm. So like ah, here we go. Yep, we we know that blindness uh can be really easily sorted by morphing. They don't say this. I'm being flippant. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um. But hey, we can't just uh, fly off and have that happen. No, no. It's time for Cassie's third or fourth moral quandary of the book. Yeah. So at this point, Jake is, is like, all right, um, let's take the whole team. Um, because if, if we were all to die on this mission, we do have some backup. Um, but let's take the whole team, theoretically, because they'll be able to get more people that way. I don't know. I don't know why he insists on taking the whole team this time, besides, like, it has to happen for the plot. Um, and uh, before they leave, they're like, all right, we got to tell Toby because we're leaving, like, we're, we're taking all of the animals with us um, and we're leaving her without some main lines of defense. Um, and we get this moment, her reaction was hard to read. I had a strong sense that, like me, Toby was not thrilled with our methods, but that also, like me, she'd publicly endorsed and put her trust in Jake as leader, and she was nothing if not loyal. And I'm over here like, oh, you think that's why, Cassie? You don't think it's because, you know, you could have given this to the hork uh, and then dismissed the idea out of hand, and this is the first time that Toby is hearing about it? You don't yeah. think that's the reason at all that she is putting on a mask? <laughs> um uh these but kids their, these kids and they're they're just like mm, mm -hmm. just oh guys these these lapses in awareness yeah um but that's not all because cassie's dad has overheard this whole conversation uh and is extremely disapproving he's basically like uh, please tell me I misunderstood. Please tell me you haven't actually convinced disabled children to participate in this nightmare. Jake spoke. We had no choice. There's always a choice, my father said angrily. Jake, I thought you knew that. Where's the boy I used to know? The boy who was so clear on right and wrong. I wondered the same thing. Jake wasn't Jake anymore. His eyes were harder, maybe his heart too, and I didn't like the look that came over his face now. It was the look that Rachel got when she was determined to win no matter what. It was the look Tobias got when he was closing in on a mouse. 
We'll wait for you over there, Jake told me. He didn't answer my father. He just led Toby and the others away. Even Jake's back looked different, straighter, more unyielding. Jake, the Jake I knew, was going away, and I didn't know how to get him back. Yet I still felt I had to defend him. Dad, I said, I don't have time to argue ethics with you. I don't have time to convince you that sometimes you have to do something uncomfortable to make things right in the end. This is war. Every minute counts. We're fighting to save the human race. The human race, my father repeated. Okay, answer me this, Cassie. Is what you're doing with these disabled children humane? My father sounded like me, like the old me, but I wasn't that naive person anymore. I had no answer. I turned and walked away, started to morph Osprey. Cassie, he cried. Cassie, wait! But I didn't wait. I finished the morph and flew. And as she flies away, uh, she begins to think, what if we don't make it back? What if the Yurks find the camp while we're gone? What if I never have a chance to see or talk to my dad again? Could I live with never seeing him again, remembering the way we'd left things? And she starts to head back, but Jake stops her. Cassie, where are you going? Back to camp, I answered. What? I'm going back. I can't go with you. I've got to talk to my dad. You can't afford to panic. None of us can, Jake said sternly. You don't understand. Hey, you're the one who said I had to be in charge. Why are you arguing with me now? Birds don't cry, so I didn't. But it was only because I couldn't. I was miserable. I just wanted to protect. Protect my parents. Protect my friends. Protect the new team. Was this how Jake felt all the time? Probably. Yes. How did he stand it? No wonder he wanted out. Uh... Hey, Mr. Cassie's dad, why are you more outraged about this than your own daughter's participation in the war? I'd like to think that his reaction would be different if they were recruiting non- or would be the same if they were recruiting non-disabled kids and just, like, other kids. But, like, we know. Yeah. We know. We know. Uh... Also, Cassie, uh looking somewhat disdainfully back on old her. Mm -hmm. uh, like, we can't afford to think about morals anymore. Um, also, there's something about her being like, I didn't like this look on Jake because it looked like Rachel and mm. it looked like Tobias. Just like, okay, fucking hell. <laughs> Saying the quiet part out loud now, I guess. Um, yeah, and it's interesting narratively. To be clear, I think this is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I, as a characterization beat, I think it makes Cassie arguably both more sympathetic and less likable. Mm -hmm. It's just like, well, I didn't like when my friends do it, but at least my boyfriend wasn't doing it. Oh no, <laughs> now my boyfriend's doing it. Oh <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. Um. But also, like again, we've we've talked before. This is a tragedy, mm -hmm. um, and Cassie's realization that Jake is changing into a person um, that she doesn't really know anymore, yeah, and mourning the loss of the person he used to be. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, dear listeners, uh, I don't know what happens post events of book, but if Cassie and Jake survive as a couple. I will be shocked and mad because I don't think it works. But that's another story for another day when we do post-mortem of the series and I yell a lot. <laughs> uh, so we are at the climax of the book. They go to the school for the blind. Uh, they start to do their thing and like introduce a kid to the war. Um, but Cassie has a really bad feeling and she goes through a couple different morphs trying to figure out what she's missing. And I do like that. Like she's going through different senses to try to find what, what she can't sense as a human. Uh, and she realizes that the room is being watched. Uh, like it's got a, an infrared kind of camera in it. Um, and the controllers, uh, almost immediately storm in i don't think it's 
The way it's written makes it sound like the Yerks set specifically this room up as a trap in order to catch the Animorphs, but I think it's much more likely that just the Yerks are constantly on high alert for any indication that the Animorphs are coming back in town. And as soon as uh, some nobody controller saw a group of people morphing into animals inside this room, they were like, oh, hey, boss, those people you're looking for, they're right here. Um, but they get, the Animorphs get captured, uh, by, by the controllers who happen to be led by Tom. Um, Tom. This is brutal. It is This brutal. whole fucking exchange is, oh. holy, I got chills reading it. Mm-hmm. Like, the yerk in Tom's head is yep. a nasty piece of work. Yeah. By yerk standards. Uh, so Tom forces Jake to give him the morphing cube because he has all of his friends at gunpoint, essentially. Um, Jake, uh, I'll just read this real quick. Jake, Tom grabbed Jake's arm. Jake hissed a command to Rachel. She stepped back, her face a mask of fury. Jake didn't resist. Neither did Marco Tobias Axe. They couldn't, not with all these innocent kids in the room. Tom opened his other hand, palm out. Give it to me. Jake didn't move. Tom wrenched Jake's arm, yanked him closer. Give it to me. Now. Slowly, without taking his eyes off Tom, Jake reached into his pocket, pulled out the blue morphing cube, placed it in Tom's hand. Tom closed his fingers around the cube, grinned. Okay, let's all leave quietly. Two hork controllers stood like sentries. The other eight marched Jake and the others into the hall. I'm following, Jake, I said, knowing he could hear but not answer me. Cassie? Marco. If it comes to it, get James. When we were in the hallway, Tom closed the door behind us. Then he turned and struck Jake savagely across the face. My host's own brother. Jake reeled and a hork caught him, propped him up. Tom struck him again. Do you have any idea what you've done to me? All that time we were searching for you, looking for Andalites, and it was you, right there in my own house, right down the hall. I could have killed you a million times. Visser One almost starved me to death for my stupidity. Rachel's face was red with fury, frustration. Axe's stock eyes were blank, his tail held by a smirking hork -Bajir. Marco was still, a dragon beam pointed at his skull. Tobias was gripped under a hork arm. This was worse than it had ever been. Still, Jake said nothing. His face was unreadable. Take them down to the garage off the loading dock, Tom ordered the hork controllers. If the girl tries to morph or escape, kill her. Make the gorilla and the bird demorph. Keep the Andalite under extra guard. He'll make a special host body. And inform Visser One that we have the rebels and the cube. Tom turned back to Jake. My host's parents, he said coldly, were given as hosts to relatively low-ranking controllers. This is so we can kill them without regret if we have to. So if any of you even thinks about making trouble. And he trails off. Um. Yeah. Uh, it's bad. So bad. <laughs> Very bad. Uh, this is when I, Cassie like pieces out to go get James yeah, and the others. To yeah, be clear, yeah, Cassie leaves and goes goes to get Jake James. Um, two things that I want to point out very quickly are one, whatever Jake hissed to Rachel, I'm sure it was just like don't do anything, but like that she was that ready moment, to fucking kill Tom. She yes, was she is absolutely. Um. And Tom recognizing that and being like, if she moves, kill her. It's so cold. Yeah. But also, we have to give, again, great, like, yeah, Rachel is probably the most dangerous person uh -huh. in the room right now. Uh-huh. Um, and then Marco, if it comes to it, get James. And I had flashbacks to David and Jake being like, get Rachel. We may have to do something really terrible. Get whomever. Um, but also, like, he's the one who's thinking about how they actually have reinforcements to call now. And being telling Cassie, like, hey, go get them. We need them. This is the time. Uh, 
So Cassie goes and gets the the auxiliaries. Um, they rally. They fly out to this location, the school for the blind. This the school is like surrounded, at least on some sides, by woods. So they like land in the woods, um, and they all demorph and uh, begin to to morph into their battle morphs. Um, there is a moment where everybody kind of freezes and uh like hesitates at the idea of going into battle all of these kids are freaking out rightly so because it's a potentially deadly battle um and james is like like he gives like a weird inspirational speech about like yes you do know how to fight we fight and win every minute of every day um and like basic but it comes down to like hey we made a promise and we're we're gonna follow through on that promise so whether we're ready or not we're going to do it which i think is much more inspirational than whatever the fuck he was saying before um they uh cassie has a moment of indecision and is like no y'all y'all uh i was wrong y'all just demorph go back hide you know you should not be doing this and james is like no we're we're gonna do this we'll be fine uh and they go in and turn the tide of the battle really quickly they're able to free the other animorphs they get the morphing cube away from tom um but viscer three is here or viscer one is here uh and he has brought a lot of reinforcements uh, the Mr. battle One is also written incredibly. He scary is. He is. This scene. Yeah, he is. He's not playing around. Um. Uh, the battle starts again, and at first, it you know the auxiliaries are actually doing really well, um, especially for their first fucking battle. Um, but eventually the tide begins to turn. Um, some people, some of the auxiliaries get like really hurt uh and have to uh like back off especially in particular where we see kelly uh takes a really gnarly dragon beam wound and has to demorph like in the open essentially um in order to live uh cassie has to coax her through it uh meanwhile viscer one morphs a giant squid thing with scales and spike-covered tentacles, uh, and basically gets in a bit of a duel with Jake. Um, the others try to help Jake, but they're kind of beaten off. There's, there's too many tentacles. There's too many tentacles. Too there's many. a lot of tentacles. Um, and it, the viscer grabs Jake around his throat and starts just fucking flinging him around. Like, it is gnarly uh the fact that jake doesn't die is incredible um and the viscer is trying to get jake to tell him where the morphing cube is um because it got hidden earlier because yeah it, it got hidden and jake is like jake refuses to say anything the others are trying to get jake away from viscer one it's not really working um, and then suddenly, the tentacle that is holding Jake is severed. Uh, and we are led to believe that one of the assembled Torque-Bajir controllers cut it. Because they're, you know, like a deep undercover freedom fighter. Um, and had saved Jake by, by cutting this tentacle. Uh, and with that, uh, the taxons attack Visser 1. Um... And in the chaos, Jake orders the retreat. Uh, James echoes the order. Uh, all of the Animorphs and the Auxiliaries begin to scatter. Um, Cassie says like that she's going to get the Morphing Cube. Uh, but as she turns to go find it, uh, there is Tom. Uh... There stood Tom, unsteady, blood dried and streaked on his face, clutching the blue box and a dragon beam. His eyes were wild. They darted toward Visser One. I imagined what Tom was thinking. 
Whoever, whoever had the morphing cube held the future of the planet in his hands. Why would he hand that over to Visser One? Tom ran. I followed him to the edge of the ramp, saw a pair of eyes gleaming in the dark below me, a crouched body, black and orange. Jake. He watched as Tom staggered past, then padded after him, his paws nearly silent. Again, I followed into the surrounding woods beyond sight of the school, barely keeping Jake the silent, bloody beast in sight. Still, Tom must have sensed something, because suddenly he looked over his shoulder, turned, and fired. The dragon beam singed Jake's shoulder, but he kept moving forward toward Tom. Back off, Tom screamed. I mean it, I'll kill you. Jake took another step forward. Tom fired again. The shot hit Jake in the back leg. He fell heavily. Tom took off running, sure that Jake would not, could not follow. But Jake lifted the tiger's 700-pound body on three legs and started after his brother. Into the shadows, into the darkest place Jake had ever been. The place where he would have to kill his brother, or be killed by him. Suddenly, I remembered my father's face, his voice. Is what you're doing humane? No matter which way it went between Jake and Tom, I would lose Jake. Because if Jake had to kill Tom, he'd never be the same. He would cross whatever line it was that separated us from them. And I was pretty sure there was no crossing back. I ran ahead into the dark, followed the trail of Jake's blood. Tom crashing through the woods ahead of me, soft, irregular thudding. Jake, stalking his brother, prepared to kill him. For what? For a morphing cube. For... It wasn't worth it. Suddenly, I knew the truth. I reached the clearing where they both stood. Tom was out of breath, staggering. Jake was only a yard or two behind him. Tom turned, lifted his arm, aimed his weapon. I'll kill you, Jake, he said, voice ragged. I will. Jake snarled, crouched, prepared to spring. That's when I shot forward and closed my jaws over Jake's uninjured back leg, clamped down. Jake roared, turned on me, smacked at my head with his paw. The blow sent me sprawling, claws raked deep gashes in my side. But it was worth it, the pain, everything. I'd done what I had to do. I'd made the sacrifice. Tom disappeared into the night. Jake and I lay there, panting with pain and fatigue. We had nothing to show for this fight, except that we were alive to fight another day. And tomorrow, Jake could face himself in the mirror. The new team made it safely back to the rehab center and into bed without being missed. Everyone, including Kelly. James reported that all was well. No one wanted out. No one was threatening to talk. If Jake thought he was losing his nose for leadership, he was wrong. James was a good pick. If we went down, there was still a home team for the human race. The blind, red-haired girl who had been observed on infrared cam camera talking to Jake and Rachel had escaped. Before the Yerks could come back for her, she'd simply walked out of the facility in Rachel Morph. And the original six of us? Were we still a team? I didn't know. We'd been back twelve hours and Jake still hadn't spoken to me. Hadn't even looked at me. Nobody but the two of us knew what had happened. They knew only that Tom had gotten away with the morphing cube, that Jake was devastated. And they knew something was very wrong between me and Jake, but they didn't know why. Finally, I decided to force the issue with Jake. Jake stared at me, his eyes cold and hard. Well, stop treating me like I'm the enemy, I said. He turned and began to stalk away. I trotted alongside him and grabbed his sleeve. He yanked it out of my grasp and faced me. His face was white with anger. His lips were shaking. How could you do it, he cried, his voice breaking. Why? I choked. I was trying to protect you. Protect me? His brows lifted in amazement. How? You were wounded. He might have killed you. Then why didn't you go after him, Jake demanded. You weren't hurt. With the trees for cover and the wolf's speed, you could have taken him down. I couldn't explain, because I didn't understand it myself. All I knew was that letting Tom take the morphing cube had seemed absolutely the right thing to do. And something still told me I was right. And that's where the book fucking ends! <laughs> yep. <laughs> Like, what the fuck? This is, of course, the pinnacle of Cassie's character arc in her desperate 
attempts to save Jake from himself, to prevent Jake from making the decisions that she thinks would destroy Jake. Um, and maybe she is right, but she is making those decisions for him. Uh, and in so doing is taking like a moralist high ground uh, and acting like she knows what's best for people. Um, and she may be right. She might be right that doing this would have tossed Jake back over that line that he only just crossed. It would have, you know, destroyed him when they only just got him back as a leader. But, like, at what fucking cost? Mm -hmm. There is something so loaded about ending the book on Cassie's conviction that she was in the riot. Mm -hmm. How often do we see awful things done by people that believe it's the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. And making her so she could have gone after the cube and i like i appreciate like narrative is we don't see her whole thought process oh it was more important i stop jake mm -hmm. but like if tom didn't because they they, they implies that belief that jake was going to kill tom regardless mm -hmm. right because there was the threat to the parents mm -hmm. and Maybe that's the unspoken thing here. Like, Cassie could have gone for the cube, but she was convinced Jake would have killed Tom regardless. Mm hmm And maybe Jake knows that. But again, it's... And we've seen it before. It's Cassie working with the framework that killing someone is the worst thing you can do. Doesn't want to confront the truth about what Rachel did. Thinks Rachel is the worst of them. Mm -hmm. It's. I find it a very compelling choice, to be clear. When I said at the top, I think this book is a really compelling piece of writing of Cassie. This is what I mean. Mm -hmm. She is making choices that could be incredibly dangerous in the long run. And she is acting in a way that, in real life, I would probably want to punch the person. Um, mm -hmm. Which is assuming she knows better and making mm -hmm. choices based on that. Mm -hmm. Now, it's one thing if you keep your choices to yourself and they don't impact other people. But when you are controlling other people, yeah, as she does repeatedly in mm -hmm. this book, as deeply compelling and I am a fear of what the rest of the books hold <laughs> because yeah. the group is falling apart mm -hmm. yeah she's not only making this choice for Jake mm. she's making this choice for everybody she's right. saying without saying anything Jake's Ability to look at himself in the mirror is more important than the Yerks getting the morphing cube and having this advantage that we have had this whole time. And not only that, but preventing us from using it too. They have I... lost their biggest advantage. When I say I love this, I know, I, I know you, probably our listeners understand. Mm -hmm. the fact to have our heart our empathetic character make such a selfish choice in the 11th mm -hmm. hour is mm -hmm. fascinating to me yes. it's so wonderfully selfish it's so powerful of course Cassie is clinging on to this because she's defining her humanity by mm -hmm. her relationship with Jake. Mm -hmm. So much. 
going on here? I die. This is yep. so interesting. I can't yep. believe we've got to wrap the episode. I can keep talking about <laughs> I have another podcast recording in 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So, possible rankings <laughs> for plot. Ah. The recruiting of other anamorphs from an unlikely source and the need to and stuff breaking down, I find very compelling mm -hmm. as a plot. It's the missteps and the moralizing around it mm -hmm. that I can't rank the plot higher. Yeah. Because it boils down to, hey, you know who the Yerks don't want? Disabled people. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I um I think the plot is okay. I would probably give it like a 7. Mostly because I don't I found reading this that the writing itself felt choppy. Like from chapter to chapter um it it didn't feel smooth or like one thing obviously led to another um and i think that hampered it for me uh in terms of like plot and development of events and stuff like that um what about you emily i think i think a solid 6 i think mm I can vibe with that. Mm -hmm. uh, characterization. I think it's really high, mm -hmm. to be honest. Like, for all I feel like some stuff comes across as pity or Cassie missing the mark, given the head state she's in, mm -hmm. I haven't felt this engaged with a Cassie characterization plotline since maybe fucking Aftran. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the writer really cared about writing Cassie well, and it shows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think Jake is super compelling in this book, even if he's a dick, because that's the point. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give it an eight or a nine for characterization, frankly. Like, the missteps yeah. that are there aren't rooted in the characterization. Mm -hmm. it's it's a, a slight writing misstep or a poor execution of what I think is actually quite a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to go nine. Mm -hmm. Alrighty, cool, cool. Yeah, same. Uh, enjoyability slash satisfaction. This feels like one I've got to put a big asterisk on, you know? <laughs> like, because I actually yeah. want to give it quite a high score. But also, asterisk, the ableism, oh God, the ableism. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I whipped through this. Mm -hmm. Like, high highs, low lows. Mm -hmm. So maybe it averages out to like a seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Because um, I also tore through it. If for nothing else, I wanted to know what was going to happen because I know we're getting into the nitty gritty of mm. how this is all going to end. And the ending did not disappoint because it <laughs> left me feeling like someone had just left me trampled on the ground and I wanted to cry. <laughs> yeah, same. Right. Uh, Favorite part, everybody. I think uh, I know what mine is. I don't like to rate necessarily action scenes as my favorite part, but the bit mm. with the fucking auxiliary team assuming battle yeah. morph and diving in. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah. Emily and I talked about this before we started, but I have to give a shout out to Colette in Crocodile Morph. Yes. Who uh -huh. wants to fight this big green baby? Yeah. Uh, I love her <laughs> so much. Yes, she's wonderful. Uh, 
it's great. Um, but also, uh, we didn't have time to unpack it, but seeing the animals these kids chose, yeah, and then very sort interesting. Of, yeah, and also um, the conversation between, uh, as part of the scene, uh, Kelly and Cassie, and also Marco is there, and he's mm-hmm, the one that like mm-hmm. carries Kelly out as well. Mm-hmm, Marco is mm-hmm. great in this book. I've got to say, he is. he is. I have to be happy about my son having a good showing. Uh, I think mine is the end bit when Cassie stops Jake. If mm. nothing else, then for just the massive fucking implications it has on the rest of everything. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as an ending, mm-hmm. it's hits. Mm-hmm. For sure. Boy, does it. <laughs> uh, do, did anything surprise you? Uh, not in a good way. <laughs> no. <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like we unpacked was... choices yes. made going through. But have you got something you want to particularly highlight? I I I was surprised that the auxiliaries were treated uh, as humans, as people, as much as they were. Uh, my memory was not great. I'm surprised that it was better than I expected. <laughs> Which is damning with faint price. (laughs) Um, Uh, Any part that doesn't make sense, we didn't understand. We unpacked the hole in the yurks not being interested mm -hmm. in disabled bodies as hosts to death. Mm -hmm. I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the biggest bone of contention here. For me. I I can't speak for for you, fine folk. No, yeah. I agree. Uh... And essential animorphs reading. I think we are well into the part where everything yeah. is essential animorphs reading. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tread tread lightly if um. For, well, we addressed the varying reasons. If you do want to read it yourself, there is good stuff that we didn't get a chance to read out. Uh, mm-hmm. Just be aware going in of the missteps that we've highlighted. Uh, but plot wise absolutely like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you you mm-hmm. do not want to imagine get reading the next book and not having read this one you would have <laughs> hey hey guess what happened when i was a kid oh, <laughs> oh boy no. you had to go I, back yeah <laughs> 49 to 51 oh oh no yeah. <laughs> i think i think i missed both 50 and 51 and so i picked up 52 oh, and i was like God. why is everybody mad at cassie like <laughs> well <laughs> She Funny did story. what? <laughs> uh, so yeah. <laughs> um, alrighty. Holy shit, this book. Yeah, Emily, thank you so much for being with us thank today, you, Emily. Yeah. I've re- your insight's uh, been super great. Thank yes. you for not holding back and then swinging those punches <laughs> that were rightly deserved. Mm-hmm, I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was going to be a lot angrier, but actually, the more I, I sat with it, I I was like, okay, I think I've untangled this enough that I'm like over the initial like shock. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, uh, where can people find you, Emily? Uh, I am on Twitter as Emily nine three six three, and I think that's also where i am on twitch although i haven't uh streamed in many a moon uh hopefully maybe i can get back to doing that sometime once i uh have better internet uh Mm -hmm. in a few weeks uh but yeah that's where you can find me all right uh, my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. You can find uh, their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FDLcast on Twitter. Uh, they're doing some awesome Pathfinder stuff right now, and you should go check it out. You should also check out uh, their GoFundMe uh, to get something off their chest. Um, you can find the link to that GoFundMe uh I believe it's pinned to the top of their Tumblr and their Twitter. It's not pinned there, but I reblog it frequently enough. Yeah. Uh, but go go throw some money at that if you can. Uh, it's it it's a good good thing. Go do it. Um, yeah. 
Uh, and in addition, before I uh, give my co-host uh, the dues they so rightly deserve, uh, Follow the Leader is going to be doing a live stream on April 1st, celebrating uh, 30,000 downloads. Um, Hell yeah. Details to follow. Nice. You'll be able to see them on our Twitter, but we're uh, we're having a little we're having a little fun game uh, to thank our listeners and to uh, just play a game. But enough about me. Yeah. My co-host has been the incredible Danielle. You can find them online at all the places at Red Tail Talk Ninety. Keep your eyes peeled. Idiot teenagers with the Death Wish version two is coming. The art will blow your goddamn minds. Be the animals you want to see in the world. Play idiot teenagers with a death wish. Uh, you can also find them on their home podcast of the Room Where It Happened. That's Room Where Pod on Twitter. If you want to check out Urban Fantasy with an Appalachian flair, go listen to Elder County, Tennessee. There's a Buckwild faction game with some truly incredible brains. And as always, the cast of uh, the Room Where It Happened tell great character-driven stories that will take you on the wildest of rides. <laughs> All right, uh, let's do a clap. Let's do a clap. At 20? 20. 20.